0: Maybe the rule of thumb is who could potentially be left out of this situation? What can we do to alleviate that? You know, like whether it's individuals that are deaf or blind or disabilities or women or LGBTQ, you know, just like whoever, who could potentially be left out of this opportunity based on what our rules and regulations are right now? And what can we do to create workarounds for that?
1: Hey there, you're listening to Virago Pod, a podcast that is dedicated to empowering and improving the physical and mental health of female athletes everywhere.
0: This podcast is brought to you by the Virago Project, a nonprofit organization that helps female athletes balance sports with life.
1: I'm your host, Emily McGee Zazlowski.
0: And I'm your co-host, Taylor Tracy. Let's jump right into the
1: episode. Hi, Virago Warriors, and welcome back to episode 23 of Virago Pod. Today we are talking about a huge issue, girls dropping out of sport at unproportional rates at the youth level. We're going to discuss the problems that have led to this and what we as current and former athletes can do about it. Today joining us, we have Jackie Davis, who has over a decade of leadership experience in organizations empowering and serving populations that are being left out of sport. She's since become a speaker and advocate for the power of creating accessible and equitable youth sports space. Last year, she founded Shape the Game LLC, which focuses on helping organizations increase access to sport for all youth, while also ensuring sport curricula are aligned with students' motor, cognitive, social-emotional, and adaptive development. Okay, two quick things I wanted to touch on after recording this episode, and the first is why all of this is so important. Uh, Many of us, when we think of the benefits that sports had in our life, we think of very tangible things like I became a good teammate, I learned how to work with others, and I developed new skills and talents, which of course is all true. But there are many benefits that are off the court and even lifelong, including higher levels of self-esteem, self-respect. Sport can decrease depression. Um, Kids do better in school, and have a higher aspiration to attend college and overall higher lifelong levels of health and wellness. Second of all, I wanted to clarify something that um, I I didn't even realize um, for a long time, and that is we discussed the pay to play model and why it's so harmful, and I think there's a lot of confusion around it. There are fees to play in, in leagues like the YMCA, Park District, competitive travel leagues, but also many school leagues, Schools often are faced with budget cuts and sports unfortunately gets the ax a lot of the times here. Um, While some schools do go to try to fundraise or go to boosters, many schools don't and they end up charging children, which can leave many, many kids out, unfortunately. Growing up, I was privileged enough to have no clue the small fortune my parents had to shell out to get me playing sport. Um, And I was really surprised to find out many school leagues have fees as well. So just know, like. It's there's not like a free option for many of these children unfortunately. and and that's why the pay to play model really has to take a close look at if that's really the best way to make sure that everyone can play. All right, That is it. I will bring Jackie on now. So in February, we celebrated Girl and Women in Sports Day to acknowledge the accomplishments of women athletes, recognize the influence of sports participation for young girls, and honor the progress and continuing struggle for women in sports in general. Ever since then, I've been trying to find a podcast guest that could help talk about the importance of inclusion for girls and women in sport and found a great guest today. Jackie Davis of Shape the Game, who has a decade of serving sport-based youth development leadership positions. Uh, So thank you so much for coming on today, Jackie. We really appreciate it.
0: Yeah. Hello. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
1: Yeah. So first, can you tell our listeners a little more about, um, why you're so passionate about helping girls and women in sports and some of the benefits for, for girls playing sports?
0: Yeah. So I guess this is a personal journey. Um, I, I grew up as an athlete. My mom put me in basically all of the traditional girls sports. So like ballet and tap and jazz and all that stuff. I did gymnastics for eight years and competed in that. Um, And kind of simultaneously, um, I had a father who battled with drug addiction. And so I was kind of, I wouldn't say struggling, but I was walking through everyday life, trying to figure out how to navigate that situation. Um, and I had not like the sports I was in was not necessarily the outlet that I needed, um, and I happened to hear about wrestling over the loudspeaker at middle school. And I was like, wrestling, like WWE? Yeah. <laughs> and so I uh, frantically after school ran to the the cafeteria, I guess that was our wrestling room. And um, I just like immediately fell in love with it. I loved everything about it. It was, you know, I guess combative, which is something that like, I was taking my anger out in not positive ways. Um, But it kind of reframed all these things for me that I was always told I wasn't supposed to be, right? So um, Mm -hmm. being loud now was like being a leader, right? Being physical wasn't dangerous. It was like taking charge of the situation. Um, So it like, it just reframed a lot of the things that I was told as a young girl. Um, And then also I had this community, I had this community that I never had before. Um, I always felt like no one really understood what was going on, and then in this environment, we were all going through something together, um, and that just felt really special. So for me, I had massive um, benefits. It actually helped me become the first in my family to go to college and graduate from college. Um, awesome! So
1: Congratulations.
0: Yeah, thank you. So it was a lot. It was a lot of things where I'm like, oh my gosh, if this could do this for me, then imagine how what it could be doing for every other girl.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's really important to remember because I think, and I think that's going to be part of what we're talking about today. If I had to guess, just based on my own experience, um, when we're talking about, you know, barriers for why, why girls stop playing, because I know even I was um, called things like even outside of sport, teacher's pet or know it all because simply because I'm answering questions because I'm doing my homework and like wanting to sit in the front and wanting to be engaged and where, you know, my male counterparts, like, are just called smart, or they're the ones in the honors, or they're the ones that are working hard or like rewarded for going above and beyond. So I think there's definitely some, um, unrealized biases in, you know, girls, because I was always, um, seen as a leader on my teams, typically captain, but what you're saying is, is definitely that, like, just because I'm vocal or I'm, I'm able to lead by example, and I'm I'm doing all these things, um, outside of sport, those often typically get very turn like turned around right um I I talked about this I think on one of my other podcast guests is like name one thing that a young girl can be interested in that they won't be made fun of and like really there's like maybe you're a horse girl or you're a video gamer that now you're trying to be a boy sports like are you do you just have crushes on the guys in recess it's like really insane
0: yeah oh my god yes 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 like you're saying almost every single thing that I was made fun of or like left out of conversations for, or I like just isolated. And all of a sudden I was like the center of attention and not the positive way. That was all flipped when I, when I joined my wrestling team, which, you know, like I think in sport in general, I learned so much from the other sports. So it's not that it just happened to hit differently in wrestling. Right. And um, maybe because it was a male dominated space and I was able to find this kind of like, um, you know, this kind of confidence, even in the midst of this male dominated space. Um, so I, I don't really know what the difference was, but it hit me differently there.
1: Yeah, no, that, that's awesome. And I think it's an interesting thing to point out when people are, are thinking of that. Um, so I guess I kind of alluded to it, but um, there's a lot of reasons, right? Why? Because I saw this as, okay, sports being my outlet for these neg- negative, you know, traits that people see about me and, and it's a way to shape them into a positive, um, where these traits about me can be ex- better accepted. Um, so I, I'm assuming probably this, you know, gender basis is one of the ones, but what are some other, um, reasons why girls just are dropping out at sports at higher level than male counterparts? Um, wh- I guess, why are young girls stopping playing sports?
0: Such. Okay. So I feel like I, we could unpack this, question <laughs> for like, you know, days. Um, But I mean, I think it's like, I guess to set the table, right? So there's like that really popular kind of statistic that 70% of kids drop out by the time they're 13, right? Like boy or girl. Um, But I think what's crazy is girls drop out two times the rate of boys. And then if you wanna go even deeper, girls of color and girls from urban communities drop out two times higher than white suburban counterparts. Wow. crazy right so I'm like okay there's not just one reason I think right it's a slew of reasons and often I think it's a this like intersectionality between a bunch of them you know so um I mean <laughs> like the rates of opportunities that girls are getting offered the representation that they're seeing the um we talked about it peer pressure and and like peer influence but also parent and family influence what they're hearing at home um I think like uh, I also think a lot about this kind of socialization of perfection, you know, like girls, um, basically just not being, you know, there's this like socialization around participating in things only if they are going to be perfect at it or good or successful. Um, so then this idea of like, when I'm not, when I see a hurdle that I don't belong here, um, I just feel like there's a bajillion. (laughs) There's so many reasons.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that, um, it's, a glaring problem and like you said i do agree with you that there's not going to be one solution what might work in one part of the country isn't going to work in another one what's going to work in a school environment may not work in a, a club environment so i think kind of acknowledging that's really important and i love what you said too about like the, the the perfection because i actually did um in preparation for this like was kind of looking into some other reasons too and it was exactly that that like um young girls were actually found to be a lot more focused or their coaches and one of the high reasons they were their, their parents and coaches were focusing much more on the win loss record when really at that age, young girls are looking to have fun. And like, so it's like when the motivation isn't the same, they're now being told that they're failing, even though they were actually achieving their goal of having fun when exact, like when it wasn't all about being perfect for them. Like they didn't actually care if they hit one ball in you know, in their coach pitch game, they were there just to, Hang out with their friends at that level, and um, that that was a success. That was a win for them. And like not really understanding that that's that that's a thing, I think, is um, really problematic. So, all right. So let's start with if this big sea of problems. I guess what are some of the main problems? Since this is kind of where your your focus is, what are some of the main problems you see in the structure and programming of youth sport?
0: Yeah. Okay. Um... Well, if I'm going to specify this for, for girls, yes. you we know, like, specify it for girls. So I think like kind of touched on it earlier, the rate of opportunities for girls is, I think it's like a crazy, I mean, another crazy statistic, right? Like 1.3 million less opportunities, fewer opportunities are offered to girls in high school and college and sport. What What I think is interesting about it is that that's like through their school systems, right? So if they're not being offered they're offered far fewer opportunities in the school system, um, then that's pushing them into things like pay for play opportunities, right? Which then goes to, can my family afford it? Do I have transportation to get there? What about safety, right? Like, is it in a neighborhood that I, I can travel to? Is my neighborhood safe after dark? Are my parents gonna let me go there? Um, I think that that's a huge piece of it. I guess, you know, I actually, the other day I posted on my um, Shape the Game social media about like, cause I think there's so many things that youth sports can be doing differently, approaching differently, leaders in it, thinking about, but I kind of had like narrowed it down to sort of like five things because there's a, a ton of stuff underneath of it. And like one of it was the registration process. Like, is that being exclusive from the start? Is it, you know, in multiple languages, um, is it, <laughs> only online and kids don't have access to it uh like wi-fi at home you know like coaching staff does the coaching staff represent the kids that you want to be serving right so like are there women on your coaching staff are there individuals of lgbtqi community right like are there different races and ethnicities you know like if you if not then maybe you're not showing that there's a diverse population that's welcome there team schedule i think this one's pretty interesting for young women especially like different religions like muslim girls for example you know or even jewish communities right where they have holy days that are typically during when we would be competing or practicing mm-hmm. so did you set up a team schedule where you know these girls are actually not able to compete ever during their season because it's a holy day and they're not allowed to be there or equipment are do you make it okay that they can be wearing a sports hijab or like full length gear you know um and even things like silly i'm thinking back to my wrestling days where like I didn't have women's cut gear, <laughs> you know, like I was representing my high school team and my middle school team. And I didn't have women's cut gear. I was in like a sink, like, this is like, you know, scholastic and Olympic style wrestling. And I was in like a singlet that was meant for boys with the sports bra that's hanging out all over the place, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, this is crazy that these coaches weren't like, maybe we should change this, you know?
1: Um. Yeah. That they, they couldn't even like figure out the, well, cause that, that was one of the things that really resonated, right. That they are literally not even for, on all levels from the uniform to the programs to like their marketing structure. It's, it's really, um, I saw your post, it was like a copy and paste programming to young girls. And I just loved the, the way you looked at it. Cause it's, it's not, and no different than I think you had a similar one about, um, people with disabilities. Like it's not a copy; like you can't just take what's worked for, um, male sports, especially in male dominated sports and just expect all of that to work?
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, like I didn't have role models, like female role models. There, I guess that's not true. So I didn't have a lot of females in my sport that I could look to because it was like a male dominated space, um, still is, but for sure has, was different then too. except for maybe like the couple of Olympians on our first ever women's Olympic team. Um, but like, I had never had a college or I mean, sorry, I'd never had a coach, uh, volunteer assistant full time, whatever, that was a female coach in this space. So I didn't really have a role model in that. And I think that that's interesting. I also remember like, being at my own home practices and not having a girls bathroom or locker room open, you know, I'm like, Oh, you know, that seems like a really easy thing. They have a key to it, you know? But even traveling to other places, it'd be like, well, where do I go? The hallway, I don't, (laughs) you know? So I think there's a lot of stuff that seems really simple. um, And I don't actually think, you know, I've had so many male um, uh, advocates and allies, whether they're like parents or coaches or teammates. Um, So, and I feel like it was never something that was intentionally done to keep me out it was just this naive kind of thing where they never had to think about it. And so they didn't. And I was, mm, I wasn't trained to be super vocal about it. Right. So I didn't know how to be a self-advocate and be like, Hey, I need something that fits me. I need this bathroom open. I need a female coach. I, you know, I just didn't know how to communicate those needs.
1: Yeah. I, I obviously am a co-founder of the Virago project. I talk about this stuff every day on my podcast. It's something that I'm really passionate about. Um, And I will say I had a great relationship with my father and he coached my T-ball teams. He coached uh, my soccer teams when I was in youth. Uh, And I, uh, so I, when I gave birth to my daughter in May of last year, uh, we were talking, my husband and I were talking about things we were excited for and looking forward to the future. And my thing was, I am, Josh, I'm so excited for you to coach her, like her soccer teams when she's, she's young. And, and my husband, um, he played soccer growing up to like 10 years old. He was like, yeah, I mean, you're a D one athlete who got a full ride scholarship to North Carolina. Maybe you should be the coach. And I'm like, oh my gosh, yes, I should be their coach. I played soccer growing up for 12 years on elite teams. Like, why was it my gut reaction? I mean, I know, you know, so I'm not saying that I'm obviously, I don't think I'm sexist, but I had this relationship of like this is a daddy daughter activity, which it's just not, I would objectively, and my husband would stand by this. I'd be objectively a better coach to my daughter than he would. And that's not, that's not bad, but like, yet I still didn't place myself in that position of I'm going to be her coach. Um, just because like you said, I've always had male coaches. I've always had that as my dad. Um, and it's just not the truth that all, males know more and are better coaches, especially when we're looking at our youth athletes. So I think it's really important that a very easy takeaway um, would be like become an assistant coach, like, like moms out there, do this for your, your daughters, be the assistant coach, like look into assistant coaching at college. I, I even know um, volleyball, there's many, many, many male coaches in the women's field, um, different sports. I found kind of, we talked to a softball player that has that more um, female in general in the NCAA has a little more equality in, in men versus male or female versus male. But I mean, if you look at men's sports in NCAA, they are all, I, I'm not going to say all, I'm, I'll put an asterisk, but the the coaching team are 90% male. But then if you look at the female, it's it's still not even 50, 50, but like it's, it's close. And so I just think it's very interesting that the society norm is still to have instructions coming So I think that's a very important challenge like that. I'm going to definitely obviously change the way that I looked about it for my family structure. And I think it's important that you're, you know, thinking about that when you're enrolling kids or you're thinking about volunteering or like even like they're looking for park district teams. They don't have to be parents. Like if you are a female woman in sport, um, take a look at those opportunities and see like that will really be giving back to your community with those role models that like in wrestling, I'm sure wrestling's lacking, um, but even across the board in, in all sports.
0: Yeah, oh my gosh. Well, and this takes me back to like what you said about not even thinking about it, being like socialized not to think about it. Um, yeah, it takes me back to like, also like there are, there are women who are like, do think about it and then are like, oh, I'm not actually qualified for it. <laughs> right? And that goes, that is like, for me, an older version like an adult woman's version of what young girls are doing when they're like, Oh, I have to be perfect. I have to have all of the experience. I have to have done it for this many years. Like, how can you get that many years of experience without actually joining? But I have to do it for this many years, I have to have this kind of experience, I have to know all of the answers. Um, this idea of perfectionism, right? Um, so it's like when I hear you say that, I'm like, oh, it's like the next gen or like the older generation being like, Yeah, I can't do it. I'm not prepared for it, even like if they If they say so. And then and then because of that, like you said, I think actually it's it's not great, but there's like our our female coaches and collegiate programs has dropped. So it's like, Mm -hmm. I don't even know. In like the 70s it was almost 90% or something. Now it's like 64%. And I don't know if that's because there's more women's sports opportunities and more women that are competing but haven't matriculated out, you know, yet. Maybe they're still competing, or if it's just like it is just that women are doing this thing where we're like, oh, I'm not qualified. Like coaching at a D1 level, that's crazy. I could never do that, you know? Um, but yeah. then there's not the representation. So then like the less that women are coaches or referees or commentators or media people or operations people or whatever, like literally any position in sport, the more that they're there, uh, the more that girls see it and the more that boys see it and the more that everybody thinks it's totally normal. That's how it's supposed to be.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think it's one of those things that, um, I, I'm sure there's many reasons for it, but just from my, like, since I'm 30 years old and I could see a lot of coaches in my age range, I know I can see that. Um, unfortunately with the maternity leave and familial leave, it's like, okay, in order to be a head coach. And actually I'm not saying assistant coaches don't make money to live on, but I think the majority of assistant coaches goal is to end up being a head coach somewhere. So if you take a look, you have to be an assistant coach for so many years, a volunteer coach for so many years, where oftentimes they're making zero money, then an assistant coach with a recruiting coordinator. And then you're traveling on your off season every single weekend. And it's like. Trying to picture how you can balance a family life with a work life, it's almost non-existent. Um, you have to like wait, keep pushing back child like childbearing years. And that's a hard decision to make of like, I might do this for how many years and still not become a head coach. Because I'm sure um where in in male sports, there's a lot of turnover between males, like people might get fired because the school, these are revenue generating things. But a lot of times the head coaches stay for 20 years. So there's less call for change and turnover. So it's very hard. And I think, um, only now, I, I know some people were, uh, I saw on AU Sports, they're having like some uh, women leagues in lacrosse and softball and volleyball and paying their athletes. And their maternity, not even maternity program, but if you have kids, their program is amazing. Like I was looking, they provide childcare like, for these people to be able to compete. Like, And I think it just kind of needs a I mean, this is, you know, to going away from youth, but like I, I feel like it's hard to really be able to have that career when you're essentially making these women choose. It's really unfortunate,,
0: uh, you know, I tr- I'm so happy you said that because I didn't. I wasn't thinking it, and I wasn't thinking about it. I did have a conversation with a colleague of mine. She's um she's one of the assistant Olympic team coaches for our women's wrestling team, Olympic team. But she is talking about how she's going to be putting in this proposal to, like our governing body, right? For, um, for I, I want to say like maternity leave, but more like a maternity program. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, for like I, I, for example, I volunteer coach with Team USA. So like, if I were to have a child and I wanted to be able to, they wanted me to be able to come and help contribute to a camp or work with some of the girls. You know, that is a choice. That's a decision I would have to make. Can I? Can I have my kid come with me? Can this be a family affair? And then normalizing this idea that like women, <clears throat> mothers. In sport, right? Like not just women in sport, but mothers in sport. Uh um, And I was like, oh my gosh, that'd be amazing. That'd be a game changer. There'd be so many more women that would be able to participate if there was like some sort of maternity motherhood coaching program where your kids could be with you while you're doing this.
1: Yeah. And I I think it's hopefully going that way. I think more and more people are seeing what everywhere else in the world is doing and, and how the U S specifically is kind of lacking in those. Okay, so I actually want to go back to one of the areas you mentioned briefly to talk more about it, because I saw an interesting proposal somewhere that I'll touch on later. But I want to hear more about that pay to play, um, because I think this is a significant issue in both school and travel teams. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have parents who could afford private lessons, an elite club, able to travel to go on these tournaments and for recruiting. Uh, I understand how privileged I was. but I get that's not the reality for everyone. So can you go into some more detail on, um, what the barrier about pay to play, why it's so harmful and what can be done to overcome this?
0: Yeah. So I, I am not going to pretend like I know all the answers to this, but I, I will love, I love to sit and unpack it with you. So I think, I mean, so I, I've worked in sports-based youth development. So in sports youth nonprofits for about 10 years. So I think, Um, I think a lot of us in that kind of space see the disparity between the kids that are signing up for our programming and the kids that, you know, do not have to sign up for our programming, Um, you know, pre-COVID, which I think it will, it's a lot, I think that gap widened a lot during COVID, Um, and I think it will look a lot different coming outside of COVID. So. I think pay to play is interesting because, well, you know, so I read something the other day and this might be like more of what I'm thinking in my head and sum it up, but I read something the other day about, um, this might be like Aspen Institute or something. I don't know. They always put out good stuff, but um, about like the fact that in elementary and middle school, a lot more white kids are participating in sports um, than, you know, that their, their peers. Um, but that by the time they get to high school, the ethnic, like the race and ethnic diversity kind of, by by participation, it basically starts to even out. And I think what I read was like, okay, well, that makes sense, right? If elementary and middle school programs don't really offer a lot of sport opportunities, um, then the kids that are participating are kids that are paying for clubs or community centers or whatever they're going, like community leagues. and their peers don't have the opportunity to do that because they might not have, um, they might not have the means to, uh, but that it starts to level out in high school because there's a lot more sports opportunities that are offered. And so that we need to like really revisualize visualize what school sports look like in order to be more inclusive and create more equity <laughs> around who can participate. Um, because that's where a majority of kids are participating anyways, you know, so, um, I don't really know where I was in there, except for that. I think when we think of pay to play, it's very much a very, it's like a small portion of our community that gets to do it. And if we're only offering that opportunity, we're excluding a very large group of our community from sport.
1: Yes. Uh, So there is a cost barrier to playing sports in travel clubs and outside schools. And in some school districts, there's actually that as well. Um, There was a report by the state of play that found um, sports cost an average family of $693 per child per year to play just one sport. Um, So that's in both school and travel clubs. The average cost um, can be as high as $2,500 for ice hockey. And the lowest one was $191 for track. This led to, with this structure, whenever there's this structure in place, in schools as well, this leads to only 22% of households below the poverty line playing sports, um, and 43% of the kids playing sports was families with incomes over 100000 which makes complete sense when you're hearing that, and that kind of matches what you're saying with People who are playing these high school sports, especially when they're tryout, uh, are going to be the ones who are also could afford the travel ball. Like you're, you're going to put someone in a situation that didn't has never played the sport before and and do that. So I think that 22 percent below poverty line versus 43 percent above uh, above hundred thousand dollars kind of shows just like let's be honest the, the number of kids who want to play sports is probably pretty similar. So in one school district in Maryland where they had this, and this was the, we going to say gonna the proposal that I found really interesting. Um, there's a school district in Maryland that had a need-based fee waiver where you have to prove your need. They replaced this in the school district, right? And they just, instead of having to submit, I, honestly, I don't know what it was, I'm assuming like tax forms and something else, um, they replaced it with just a checkbox saying, I am a resident of X city and I am requesting a waiver of all fees and waiver requests increased by 1,200%. Um, and this was at a high poverty school district in the city. And schools, the school's participation in sports increased by almost 80%. And this is somewhere in, uh, it was a, I don't know if it was a Title I school, but it was like one that was specifically getting aid um, for being below the poverty line. And it's just such an interesting concept of like, people are saying that there's these fee waivers already for schools, but it's actually, a huge problem um yeah. that this just fixed and the sad thing is this wasn't even um approved to be like forever they're trying to get it to be it there but um I thought this was a really interesting thing I'm not sure how well that could be, help travel teams um I guess so I guess what are your thoughts on this how applicable like how what's I guess what's the word expand it's not expandable um transferable you,
0: yeah Yeah. Yeah. Would this
1: be to other, I guess, school districts to start. Um, and, and even these travel sports that are exclusively pay to play at the moment.
0: Yeah. You know, so I think a long time ago, I'll go back to like a personal experience. A long time ago, I was in New York city still working with, um, I, I, for most of my professional career (laughs) before starting to shape the game, I worked with an organization called beat the streets wrestling, um, which is a national organization, but. The first one that's opened up was in New York City and I was fortunate enough to get a chance to work there. And we had, um, you know, nonprofit uh, free, we fundraised so that all of our programming was offered to kids for free in uh, the five boroughs of New York City. What we found was that some families um, who were not uh, in need were participating in, in, you know, our, Practices and uh, travel teams and whatever we had life skills, you know, um, mm-hmm. and that's not not because you know we obviously wanted them to be participating, but we wanted to like get a better gauge on okay if we are going to give scholarships for some things, you know, who should be getting, uh, who's in the most need and should be getting our highest scholarships, who's in the in the least need and, and maybe doesn't even need a scholarship. And so we asked for something similar to this. We asked for um, them to submit, I think W Nines is what we asked for, and. Um, looking back, it seems, it seems crazy that we were like, yeah, like prove to us that you need our help. You know, when in fact, I'm sure if we did something as simple as like, I need this, I don't need this. It would have been um, perfectly fine. And I think it's looking back, I think about those waivers and I think that is super exclusionary for the kids that are in need because like what if their parents don't have the means to get a W9 to us? What if they don't have the tech to sub, like to submit it? you know like there's just a lot of a lot of things that's excluding people who actually need it from being able to take advantage of it just by asking for that. Um, so I think I, I was thinking the other day about ways because I was talking about registration fees. I was talking you know because I agree I think even in my high school I was asked to pay some sort of not a registration fee but like some sort of fee right to cover coaching or i don't even know what it was but um i know that, that could have been a barrier for a lot of people and so i was thinking about oh you know maybe those scholarship programs where the team or you put together some sort of volunteer coaching group or this family i'm putting air quotes around booster club because i don't know if that's the right word but put yeah. a group together that does some fundraising with the intent that you can have some like a pool of money that is maybe a scholarship for anyone who might need it you know um so i think it's a i think that it can be applied. I think it needs to be really like sat down and thought about like how it should be applied. Right. Because put like, you don't want to, you don't want to exclude the individuals that you're trying to make life easier for, um, by, by creating this step, you know,
1: yeah, no, I think I think that's important. Cause I'm even thinking you made me think of I was required to have a physical done, um, which I totally get why, but that is a huge barrier like to entry of like that's assuming that everyone has good health insurance, that people's parents can easily take them to a doctor. And it was usually a pretty quick like you know, right back at school, there's so much going on. Like that's a hard time. So I think kind of identifying all these extra steps and extra fees. Um, and especially a lot of these programs are nonprofits and, you know, as a nonprofit, like I totally get, you still have to make money. You have to pay people. You have to do all those things, but really, um, examining the the process of these scholarship programs and athletes that are, um, need-based and really even putting, um, kind of extra emphasis on it because I, I know even I'm thinking of like my high school team, like we were such a big community. If, if my high school team would have known that like there was people who wanted to try out for volleyball and couldn't, we would have totally put on something to go directly to people's you know admin fees and, and it's just something that I don't even think people realize, So again, I I grew up in a wealthy community with family that was well off. So I didn't even realize this was a problem. Like I did not realize that there was, I didn't even know that people were getting free lunches. I did not know that this was a thing. So I just lived in my, um, you know, I'm not going to say ignorant, but I'll say privileged bubble, um, of like, I just general, like I didn't know. So I think kind of the more we can bring awareness to like, Hey, let's take a look at these structures because, um, The people who who are eligible for them, like you said, oftentimes don't have internet. They don't know anyone who's done this before. Um, It's the first time they're doing it, which is just a really hard barrier to overcome. So uh, I think you bring up a lot of good points. And even like a good starting point is like, we're not looking to change any, like, it's not like we have to do a a complete revamp overhaul. Let's start by challenging whether you need it. Like, let's say I personally don't need to do a fee waiver um, at all. But what's the harm of me asking the programs that my children or my friend's children or my school, um, even, if, even if she does not even play sports ever, like I want to ask my elementary school, my junior high, my high school, what are your procedures for this? And like, just start having those conversations. And then even like, it's really powerful coming from a person as bad as it sounds, it doesn't need it, right? That I'm not begging them to like consider my child. It's like, hey, let's figure out ways to do that. So I think that's like, one kind of easy way to like um, a first step that anyone can take like hey let's start challenging this like if if you i like asking your previous club your travel position like hey what are we doing for for children who can't afford this because i it was so valuable to me because it's coming it's not coming from a place of arguing it's coming from a place of this was so valuable to me and i was so lucky to be able to do this what are your opportunities for people who do not have the financial means to do this and, and kind of starting the conversation there. Um, is there anything I'm missing that you think that could be a good, like conversation piece to have, um, from people that no matter if you need the waiver or not that they can have?
0: Um, yeah. So while you're saying this, I'm like, I actually think the, I think you're right. Like the cha- like challenging, but, um, almost on like every, every, um, institutional is probably not the right thing but every like uh, operational thing that a a league is doing or a team is doing or a school is doing like maybe the rule of thumb is who could potentially be left out of this situation what can we do to alleviate that (laughs) you know like whether it's um individuals that are deaf or blind or disabilities or women or LGBTQ, you know just like whoever who could potentially Um, be left out of this opportunity based on what our rules and regulations are right now and what can we do to create um, workarounds for that.
1: I love that. That's like, as I say, all the jumbled thoughts in my head in a beautiful one. I I think that's that's perfect. Um, And I guess, so speaking on people who are left out you shared briefly about your experience growing up um, wrestling so I want to kind of touch more on that get away from maybe or, I, I mean maybe some of this is to the youth what it is um but you also shared before this interview that you're one of the founding members of division one women's wrestling development committee um, which this purpose is to drive opportunities for women wrestlers to compete in um, upper level like you said ivy league and division one and I'll say in college in general because right now uh young athletes are forced to make the decision between deciding between their uh, continuing their athletic career or their academics. So I think this is connected to the conversation we're having at increasing participation at the youth level, um, because this is a sport that, you know, the truth of the matter is, is extremely gendered still. With how fast the sport's growing, though, um, it's very evident, and I mean, maybe you can talk more about this too, but the interest is growing so quickly. And so the interest and demand is there, but it's still taking a long time for upper level and elite teams to catch up to this, uh, increase in interest. So can you tell me a little bit more about what you're working on in this uh, wrestling space and where you hope things can go in the future?
0: Yes. Okay. So I think this is this, I think of women's wrestling as women's basketball, but like, women's basketball in the 80s. I think that's probably where we're at right now, just to like set the stage for it, you know. Um, I competed in college. Um, I was on one of the, one of the founding women's collegiate wrestling teams, and so back in 2007, I had graduated high school, made my journey to college, got recruited to this college program. Um, There were only six women's teams in well, actually five in the U S one in Canada. Um, and one so I'm, I'm from California. I'm from Northern California. So one was like two hours away from me. Um, and that happened to be the one I went to, didn't know anything about it, didn't know association. It was, didn't know what division it was, didn't know like any of that. I just knew like, I have this opportunity to compete in college and get a college uh, education, which nobody in my family has done. I'm like, I'm going. Wow. Yeah. So, um, now there's 87 women's collegiate wrestling programs so 2007 there were six 2021 there are 87 um which is huge there are 28 just about a little over 28,000 girls at the high school level alone wrestling um so it's like the fastest growing sport for girls at high school um pretty close to i think like women's rugby and field hockey or something um And yet, (laughs) so out of this, there are only two division one opportunities. So um, it's like really cool for me to see like how many opportunities there are for young women now versus what I had. Um, But I'm also, because I work with a lot of young women, I every single year (laughs) talk with a lot of young women who are like making this super difficult choice. Like they're very smart, they're very hardworking. Um, They can go to literally any school that they want to, and many of them do, but they are like, do I go to the best women's wrestling college, which is maybe a NAIA or D3 program in, you know, XYZ middle America or something, or I got into Harvard. Do I go to Harvard or I got into Ohio state? Do I go to Ohio state? You know, um, so that's, I mean, that's a roundabout, super long, took you on a journey, bringing you back. The <laughs> reason for why uh, the D1 Women's Wrestling Committee kind of um, happened. Wow. So it's me and then uh, two other women who found it, but then like a larger uh, group of individuals, including collegiate men's coaches um, and alumni from men's programs at the college level. Um, and so basically what we we are doing, what we're trying to help do is help support these young women that are already at institutions that don't have a program on how they can navigate that. And so what the school can do for them and what they can do to create opportunity, whether it's varsity or not. Um, And then, you know, also help administrators and coaches on um, like how they can be door openers for the women. Um, You know, as little as like, we've got everything done. You just need to say you support it or maybe step out of the way so you don't block it kind of a thing and then and then I guess like the wider audience like girls who are at the high school level who are looking for college opportunities kind of just trying to educate them on hey just because it doesn't have a program doesn't mean that you can't continue um, training or competing in some capacity and it will be difficult it might not be a varsity program um, but you'll be part of a legacy building Uh, kind of genre of creating something that's never happened before. So here's what you can do. So it's a lot of just education across different buckets, I guess.
1: Yeah. So I think it's at all levels, right? Like, I I think that's something that's important to remember because um, with Title IX, you know, the opportunities there, the funding's there to have them. There's no like reason, except like a lot of these division one programs have a men's wrestling team. So it's not like there's a complete overhaul on the equipment that was need, or the cost would be exorbitant. Um, so I think, I think it's something that is very possible all the way down to a club, you know, setting up a, a club team or club division, because I know our um, UNC, for example, did not have a men's, varsity team, but there was a men's club team and they competed. There was a league. Um, I mean, they were self-coached essentially, but if I know one thing about women athletes, it's that, you know, they're not afraid of a challenge. They're not about speaking up. And if this is something that they want to do, I think it's really, really feasible that, like you said, won't be easy, but the support and education is out there. So I guess if there's anyone listening that, um, is interested, how would they go about getting more information or, um, doing anything like that like where what's i guess if someone's listening let's let's take a high schooler right now um or a current college person that's like yes i love wrestling i want to do this this is something i'm interested in what would the next steps be for them
0: um you don't have to do it alone <laughs> there is an opportunity so um and you know i'll send you this afterwards but we have a website it's called d1womenswrestling.com we have an instagram called d1womenswrestling Uh, we have a Twitter, I think it's D one women wrestle. We have a Facebook D one women's, we basically have like all the platforms you can think of. Um, and we regularly put out, um, educational stuff, like actual, um, you know, how, like here's step one, two, and three of what you can do, or here's who to go to talk to at your school or contact us. And we can, um, we can help you go through the process the first couple, you know, like Um, steps of this process we also have downloadable kind of templates and things that you know girls might need at their schools that they can take from our website so we're creating a lot of um, resources that that they they can use and we're putting up new information all the time Um, I think it's important to say that you know Harvard uh, has a women's wrestling got approved for a women's wrestling club. Columbia got approved for a women's wrestling club. UPenn is talking about it. Princeton applied for it. Brown applied for it. Basically a lot of like the Eastern schools. Um, UNC actually is actively recruiting women because they, they already have a a senior level woman who's training there. A young woman just got in early decision to UNC. Um, Lehigh has women. Like there's just like, there's women, Arizona state, there's women all over the place at D1 institutions. So. There are a lot of girls that are doing this. There are a lot of young women, I mean, that are doing this. There are a lot of individuals that are wanting to help you and um, just reach out to us. (laughs) Let us know how we can help.
1: Yeah, I will link all of those in the bio. um, Because I think this is something, too, that even if you're you're sitting here and like, I don't care about wrestling, I think there's a lot of sports that people do care about that this will be extremely transferable to any, I know field hockey still isn't in every sport, lacrosse, um, lots of sports that are very regional that people grew up maybe in one area. And then all of a sudden their academics took them to a different part of the country. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, there's not even a club team. That's really sad that we can do something about it now. Like there's, there's people that are willing to help. There's administration that's willing to help. And there's a lot of resources. um, And just not to be afraid of doing a little research and, you know, asking these tough questions of like, if this is something you want to do, continuing sport is possible for you.
0: For sure, like I'll just piggyback. I, I really do think it's um. Now I'm gonna say is it applicable, <laughs> like <laughs> transferable to any other sport? Really, what we're doing is like cool. We're gonna create a working group at each institution that's made up of alumni, right? Uh, male, female, like whoever an alumni group that will help support the women on campus or will help support women who are coming, you know, um, from high school to college. Um, and here's like steps for what we found was uh, a club is like the closest to a varsity program. Like it mirrors varsity programming pretty similar, or you can set it up that way. And so we created documents, templates for individuals to be able to use for club applications. Um, so I, it's very much transferable. We'd love to talk to you if you know it's helpful at all. Um, and and yeah, I think like just grow opportunities for women at the collegiate level so that you know you don't have to sacrifice what you've worked hard for academically or athletically.
1: Yeah, we'll definitely keep the Virago Project updated in that one, especially when you're trying to create those working groups. Um, it's something very easily that we can just shoot out onto our stories um, and stuff like that, just trying to get some interest. I know we have people all over. We're very US-based right now, but we do have, you know, lots of alumni too that I know are always looking to get involved.
0: Oh, love it. Totally will. I'll absolutely keep you updated.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that's all I had for us today is just to wrap up. I know we... I feel like we covered a big gambit of, of topics. Um, but can you leave our listeners with a few action items or like kind of how we, we, you know, sent that little challenge of asking how we can be more inclusive for those like who, who, who might we be leaving out and what can we do about it? Uh, what are some other challenges that we can be thinking about, uh, to help girls and women in sport, uh, better impact, um, better impact girls and women in sport?
0: Yeah. Okay. So definitely that one. Um, Right? who anytime we're creating something that we think is revolutionary or innovative, always think about who could we potentially be excluding and how can we alleviate that issue. Um, I think <laughs> if you are a female and you're listening, find a way to get involved in, in sport in any way, at any level, like if you're a participant, keep doing it and recognize you have a voice and people listen to it, young women, and young men are listening to it. So use it. Don't be scared to use it. Cause I know I was when I was younger. I didn't know that my voice mattered then. And it's only, you know, since I stopped competing that I started using it. Um, so, but if you're not, if you're a mother, a grandmother, an aunt, if you are somebody who's uh, like working in a professional field and you could be doing the same kind of thing, but on the sporting side, right? You could be doing operations, you could be doing program design, you could be doing something, just get involved in sport at all levels. So young girls know that there is a place for them in every every uh, version of sport. Um, and then I think my last thing is it's not just about educating um, our young girls about where they belong and where they fit and why they should be in sport or what the benefits are, but it's about also, you know, co-educating our young boys about that, (laughs) what they can be doing to make a more inclusive space, why women belong there, the benefits of it. um, And, you know, um, just making sure that when we're having these conversations, we're not just talking to young girls, but we're also talking to young boys.
1: Yeah, I I think that's, um, because, you know, that that's a lot of it. That's what, um, you know, when I was looking at the key age drop off, it's, Like the very first big age drop off was like seven. And a lot of that was because of like peers and bullying and like not feeling accepted in the sport and having that athlete identity. And I think um, at at least now, you know, raising, she's almost one, I I am seeing a lot of the challenges of genders being taken away that like, hey, let's like, why is this called a girl's play kitchen? And it's like rebranded to just like children's play kitchen. It's like, yeah, like, and I, I think people are starting to realize that that that's something that can change but I think we still have a long way to go and having those conversations um not just with trying to inspire these young girls but inspiring these young boys of like equality and 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 honestly uh the girls puberty rate is so much earlier than than boys I know I was like quarterback on my team because I could I was a foot taller than all of them and I could throw farther than them so it's like I think I think but I got teased a lot for playing so I I think starting to have those conversations of like Equality at young ages because unfortunately it is something that's learned. Like boys don't grow up thinking that boys only play sports. It's something that they see on media, it's stuff that they hear from their parents. So it's something that, um, I think can be changed and that's a good action item is just continue like watching women's sports, like watch women's sports with your sons, watch women's sports with your girls, have these role models. Like, because I I've said on a previous podcast, I picked UNC because I dreamed of being the next Mia Hamm. I ended up playing for a different sport, but that was when I was playing soccer. And she, she literally shaped my entire life just by the school I went to. So watching, having more role models and the coaches and the athletes. Yeah. I I think those are, are great takeaways and.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm, you know what? I feel like I have one more tip. Too, oh, please let's more. go. I think that, I think that, and this goes back to, I, I don't, I mean, actually I don't know, but getting girls involved in sport younger. Right. So like not, and, and like remove the early specialization of stuff. So not like, not like they need to be super successful in competing and like three time national champions at the age of six, you know, but like, ideally, hopefully what's happening is like when we're getting girls involved in sport, earlier and when we're delivering sport properly then they stay in sport for a lifetime right so that is like another tip if we can find ways to just get girls involved early so they don't have this like oh self-conscious thing later where they're like totally okay with failing at things and knowing that's part of the process where they have this like body confidence where they're not uncomfortable in certain uniforms or sweating you know like i just like let's get them in earlier um, deliver it properly. And so that there could be this like lifetime journey through sport and they can come back and they can be like, part of the Virago project or part of shake the game or part of whatever organizations and like being leaders later on.
1: Yeah. I, I think that's so important thinking back to episode two, we had with Sam Morris strength and conditioning. Um, that brings me to the, the next dropout phase and that was puberty. So girls are hitting puberty. And I think it's a, a combination of you know, the perfect storm of male coaches who don't know how to do it. Parents that aren't talking to their kids about puberty, this young athlete, who's now like my body is different. It's functioning different. It's my hips are different, like all this different stuff. And it's like the, the second dropouts, second dropout age. Um, and so, and that's, that's part of it. We're not having these conversations and we're not Um, preparing these girls to be athletes before that, because if you're not, it's really hard if you're not an athlete before that and get how your body works before this awkward phase to keep going and push through. Cause like usually girl puberty age, I think is around middle school. um, And then that's when a lot of people are being introduced for the sport for the first time too. So it's really hard if people are trying to start while they're going through puberty, that can be a really confusing time that I, I don't blame anyone. If that's when they first started a sport that I wouldn't have enjoyed it. I know if I didn't start before that.
0: For sure, it's very uncomfortable. You're like, I'm super uncomfortable being myself right now. I don't want to be uncomfortable being around other people in an environment I'm not used to. And I think, I think when you're going back to like the leaders, uh, leaders not being educated on how to have those conversations or how to like deliver programming, you know, specifically for maybe that age group, maybe it's not age and stage appropriate. You know, I think <laughs> think of I don't know if you know Megan Bartlett, but she's like I look at her as like my god, right? Um, Megan Bartlett said I, it was on a thing. The other day listening to her and she was like yeah well like a lot of things sport was created for men by men so we just have to start to, like you said can't copy and paste this to young girls we gotta like switch a little bit that doesn't mean it's not as intense or it's not as fun or whatever it's just switching some of the things so it applies better
1: i love that and and, and honestly all parts of your life it feels like that sometimes like when we're talking about maternity like so much of the stuff was made by men through a men's lens trying to be applied to men. but the truth is we are different. We have different minds. We have different bodies. We have different motivations. We have different ways of thinking and talking and wanting to be communicated with, um, and different, different, even goals. So I think once you can start challenging and, and I think that's, you know, another good one of, of having women on boards and, and and just because they can provide that, that little input of like, of how much, I remember my clubs started providing free tampons in our, in our bathrooms. Cause like for this, it's a woman's volleyball thing. Like how honestly, for how much money you're making by these entry fees for tournaments, by our, our own pay to play, like it's just such an easy way to be inclusive. So it's like just someone just to have that idea. I think most places could afford it, but like, it's like, this is a life-changing thing. And it's, it's very easy. So just having a woman in decision-making abilities or on boards just to throw out um, some things that men may not even think of.
0: Oh oh my gosh. Yeah. Like all of the praise and like pray emojis. going (laughs) Yes. 1000%.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on, Jackie. This is a great conversation.
0: Oh my God. I had such a good time. I feel like I could sit and talk to you forever about all of this. But... I
1: know. Well, I gonna say, well, we will have, I'm sure a part two episode once we, once we start going, I was like, I still got a list of guests, but, uh, I would love to talk more about this. And I think some tangible takeaways in, uh, like, like you said, we just kind of scratched the surface here.
0: Yeah. There's so many things. So yeah, I had a really great time. Um, I'm looking forward to talking to you again and thank you so much for, for having me on.
1: Yeah. Thanks Jackie. We'll talk to you later.
0: Yeah. Thank you. I hope you have a good rest of your night.